Hi, welcome to Let's Humanize the Workplace. And yes, it's hot here in Amsterdam. My name is Vivian Aquado, the Inclusive Workplace Wellness Advocate. Sorry, apologies. It's very hot here in Amsterdam and I'm trying to do the best that I can with this episode, but also know that this episode is very close to my heart. So it's touching and it's also warming as well. And I'm truly excited to introduce my guest speakers later on. But today I want to highlight something, something, a lot of things. So first of all, I know that it's Pride Month and of course I'm going to dedicate uh, dedicate an episode towards Pride at the workplace that will be in not next week, but a week after. It will be amazing, but just to show a universal Pride frag, just to show my support as well. And also realizing that Pride should not only be celebrated in the month June or July, no, it should be stated all year long. So 365 year days in the year, days in a year, right? And the other number that I want to highlight as well is number 99. I think that maybe you've guessed it, but the episode, it's the 99th episode of Let's Humanize the Workplace. So it's crazy. I started somewhere in November 2019. And ever since I, ever since up to now, I've done 99 episodes. Well, today is the 99th episode and I'm so excited so next week, uh, next time I will highlight on the 100th episode, which is going to be amazing and also with amazing guest speakers as well, the same as tonight. But I just wanted to share that as well. Tonight, like I shared, tonight I want to touch base on DEI from a parent's perspective, right? Because realizing that there is a lot of conversation or there is, there are a lot of companies out there right now who are doing their best to amplify diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I also want to share a different perspective, which might be forgotten or which might not be seen, but realizing that diversity, equity, and inclusion also has an impact at home. And today I'm going to bring three other people as well, three people as well to highlight it as well. So bear with me so that I can introduce them properly. And the first one that I'm going to introduce is uh, Julie, Julie Kim, who is a DEI consultant who believes in a sense of belonging is a prerequisite for anyone to perform their best at work. And then we have another, Julie Kratz, <laughs> is a highly, highly acclaimed inclusive leadership trainer who led teams and produced results in corporate America for nearly two decades, but also she's the author of Little Allies. Magali Amy Toussaint is providing DNI consulting and coaching services to international organizations in an innovative environment for human-like voices. So welcome everybody for tonight's episode or today's episode, right? Um, the first question that I want to ask is why do we need to humanize the virtual workspace? And um, I'm going to start with Julie Kratz. Thanks. Thanks, Vivian, for having me on. It's so fun to be with such a great group of women. Uh, yes. So uh, before the pandemic, I used to say this a lot, work and life coexist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are two spheres of our life that very much integrate and overlap and it's messy and can't be one person at work and one person at home. I think we've all discovered that in the pandemic that is for sure true. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is really important for a topic I speak about, allyship and inclusion. 
you can't just like be an ally at work. You have to be one at home too. So if you're not being inclusive with your partner, your family, your friends, then you're probably not showing up in a great way at work too. So these spheres of our lives are very much overlapped and we need to be a full human in both of them. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And now I'll, I'll bring it back to Magali. Can you share? Yeah, um, basically, uh, the workplace tend to be sometimes like focusing on doing, but the reality, we are not human doing, we are human beings, meaning that, um, you know, when we deal with pe pe parents, especially during this pandemic, mm -hmm. we, we deal with people, we tend to forget about that. So workplace is not about being robot, it's about being human, so we can be productive and healthy. Yeah. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. And Julie Kim, what okay. do you have to share? <laughs> yeah, why is it important to humanize the workplace? I, I think it's important because it impacts our psychological well-being, which has a direct impact on our mental wellness and, and our performance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look mm -hmm. at children, yeah. they perform their best when they're happy. We're the same. We're just a little bigger children, right? A little bit taller, a little bit bigger, and we think a little bit wiser. Uh, but um, I interpret humanization as looking after each other. So that's humanization, right? Like I have your back kind of sense of uh, safety. And yeah, so a sense of safety and that's a sense of belonging. So I true, mm -hmm. I, be I believe a sense of belonging is a prerequisite, prerequisite for anyone to perform their best at work. So. Yeah, the same for children, same for adults. Thank you. I have a special person who's coming in right now. He is standing next to me. He doesn't want to show up, uh, Orlando. Do you want to say hi? Oh. <laughs> That's my seven-year-old, and he is gone with the wind. <laughs> so cute. It's his, oh, it's his bedtime. <laughs> So let's start with uh, with you, Magali. Can you share one reason why it is important to educate kids about allyship? Um, because the kids, they are like the future leaders, you know? Mm -hmm. The next generation are future leaders. When, like, when people say, my, lead, my girl is a princess, I say, uh-uh, she's a boss. She's a leader. Yeah. Basically, uh, this is the basic thing if we don't want trump sorry for the people who may like trump uh if we don't want trump leaders we need to do the job now yeah. so i think that's really one of the basics and also putting that in their minds because my my daughter has curly hair she's mixed she's not black enough she's not dark enough for some people but i put her in her mind that she's two and i tell her you're beautiful i do the hair with her so she brings the confidence but she also enables that with other kids and that's an important principle for me so that's about it i love that thank you for sharing and julie julie k, k. Oh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> julie kim yeah no you worries that's okay well let me say like a, i have yeah. a confession like i'm asian you know as you can see but um mm -hmm. I'm Asian, lesbian, and my children are biracial, you know, Asian and uh, Caucasian. Uh, allyship to me is, I think people think about like taking care of other people or caring for other people. But allyship to me is about caring for about yourself, yourself, mm -hmm. being able to stand up for yourself. It's like the uh, airline announcement. 
you have to put your mask first before you put the mask on your children. So yeah. when I talk about allyship with my children, or at least a five year, the older, oldest one, it's about protecting yourself and being strong for yourself and do the same for other others. So allyship, when I talk about allyship, it's about um, self-protection, self about self-confidence and extend that to other people like mm -hmm. treat people with dignity and respect like you 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 like to be treated and i think it's important super important to teach that to to our children yeah i love that and julie kratz <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think a fellowship is being much like you Lita, is like being supportive of others um and yourself right i love that self-care aspect to it um, but what I found is I've been teaching allyship in the workplace for the last seven years. And it, talking to adults is like kind of pointless. I, mean, I hate to say that my work is not pointless, but you know, <laughs> your biases are pretty well baked later in life. Like our mm -hmm. biases are pretty well cemented at age 12. They start to form between ages two and four. So if we think talking to somebody, you know, at the twilight of their career is going to reshape all of that programming and all of those biases we're carrying around in our brains, then it might be too late. But what if we started the conversation earlier? What if we helped people understand how to be helpful, how to be supportive, that we do see differences? Um, personal pet peeve of mine being raised in the Midwestern United States, very you know, more conservative part of the country, unfortunately. Uh, some people follow the the thinking of the political leader you mentioned, luckily, not me. Um, but all that to say, like, I, I, I was raised to be colorblind. You know, we don't see color. Uh, we don't treat anybody differently. Racism's over. Sexism's over. Like, that was really unhelpful and extremely confusing when I entered the workplace in the early 2000s. I was like, okay, we're all equal. And then it's like, I looked around and was like, what? This doesn't feel equal. Like, where did all the women go? Where... Why do we not have any people of color in our leadership team? It just felt so starkly different than all of my mm -hmm. lived experiences before that. So I think start the conversation earlier with our kids, help them understand we do see differences. We can celebrate those differences. Um, and here in the United States, you know, biracial is the largest growing racial demographic uh, for Gen Z. And we're approaching this next generation that's entering the workforce is largely non-white, which is unusual. Like that is something new. Um, and it'll continue to happen. So, you know, to sugarcoat this or pretend like these problems don't exist uh, is just not helpful. And it's not going to generate those future leaders that you talked about, Bagley. I think we need to elevate what you just said right now regarding, because here in Europe, there seems to be an ostrich, ostrich mechanism or ostrich effect where we keep our head in the sand, believing that when we hear no diversity, we don't speak no diversity and we don't um, here, see diversity, right? That's happening at the moment with a lot of companies. I'm not saying all companies, but a lot of companies in Europe and we have to do our best. You just saw my son or you just saw my son earlier and it's because of him that I'm, I'm standing up. It's because of him, but I'm also teaching him how to be an ally for other people and, and how to be an ally for girls and how to show up for girls so that we can do better as well. No. I can see a question from Marjolein. Marjolein, who is a, a, few, a previous guest speaker as well. Is it easier to support others when you have taken good care of yourself first? What's your uh, take on? Uh, can I say something? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. 
I think, I, I mean, I was raised, we, I didn't have a role model. My mm -hmm. mom was depressed. I was the parent emotionally from a young age. I modeled some things about not taking care of myself, you know, working too hard, you know, being underpaid. Uh, but because of that, I've learned to really care for myself, you know, to put boundaries. It's something I'm still learning. And for me, it's even more important now because my daughter is looking at everything I do. She's, mm -hmm. she's eating all my food. She's doing everything. She's taking everything I have. It so, will be worse when they get I, older. <laughs> I know. So the thing is, I cannot be like the mother say, do this and do that yeah. when I don't even do that for myself. Yeah. So when I do my hair, I have had natural hair for eight, like since I'm 18, for 20 years. And now it's even more important, you know. So I do all these little things, but also trying to teach her, like she sees like, mommy, daddy. And I'm like, yeah, but sometimes you have two mommies. Sometimes you have two daddies. Uh, so trying to explain her all these things. But the first thing is, I take care of myself. I do my morning routine. I do my meditation. Or sometimes I do it with her. I mean, she's not doing the full meditation, but at least I do with her. I run with her. I take the buggy. I put my reggae on. And you see me running in Amsterdam for 30 minutes because I need to be happy. And then she's, when I stop, she's like, Mommy, you run. And then I do that. So <laughs> but, but I, as you say, Julie, they yeah. are learning from a young age. So the yeah. thing is, uh, sometimes you have to treat yourself bad to learn to teach yourself to treat yourself good and i'm doing that every day so we'll see <laughs> yeah julie kratz yeah i love what Magli said we're modeling for them everything yeah. the behaviors yeah the inclusive behaviors and the not so inclusive behaviors and our kids are taking note um i noticed for example i love the running example i go for a walk every day and that's like my daily self-care habit and i'm like unapologetic about it like no you're not coming my seven-year-old you're not coming with me because you have to go to the bathroom or like shenanigans happen when she comes like this is not the same relaxation moment <laughs> but modeling that for her like it's okay for me to care about myself and that's not selfish like that's mm -hmm. really important to me and I want you to be able to take a stand for yourself in that same way but I notice little things you know just watching I, I think for parents you know if you're wondering how to be more inclusive and model things for your kids be really careful about the media they're consuming yeah. I mean Oh, these YouTubers and things to start into. And it's not a very diverse set of folks. And movies are getting better, but they're still very ill represented as far as like actual human diversity that exists. It's not, it's very monolithic. Um, books, um, the bookshelf is super problematic. Uh, they do a book study every year in the United States. And there are more characters that are animals in books than kids mm. of color, for example. Yeah. So just watching like the images we're putting in front of our kids and, and modeling that those inclusive behaviors, like Magali said, I think I just want to amplify that. Like it's, it's little things. It's the little things that they pick up on too. <laughs> I do also want to piggyback on what uh, Julie Crest just shared because um, Olanda is seven right now. And what we love to do, we love to watch cartoons. I'm a Disney fan, but also other cartoons fan. And ever since being in this DEI space, I cannot watch certain cartoons anymore. I had this with Mulan. I had this with Sleeping Beauty. I cannot watch it because my stomach goes left and right with, this is wrong. This is not right. Why should a woman be safe? Why can a woman not save other people, right? And so many other things, so many 
uh, ethnicity challenges, which when you are sharing a story where you're not using or not using the original story from where it originates or not letting people, those people share their story as it should be. And that's something that I'm struggling with. Sometimes I don't want him to watch certain um, classics because I don't believe in them. It's not fitting in this whole inclusive space anymore. Wow. Julie. Yeah. Julie this, Sorry. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the limiting the media access doesn't yeah. seem to, I mean, it helps, but that's not a solution, right? Yeah. Because they go to school and then girls bring the pink backpack and talk about princesses. I'm, I'm going to marry a prince and all, all that stuff. So uh, the best I can do, I think, is to lead by example. Mm -hmm. that, that's all I can do. That, that just yeah. show her, not just tell her what to do, but just, just she's. If I only hang out with, for example, Japanese friends here because I'm comfortable with them, with the language and everything, all the culture, then she would just think, well, she's always hanging out with a certain group of people. So why don't I just hang out with friends X and Y? But if I'm hang my daughter sees me hanging out with different kinds of friends, Japanese friends or people, uh, mm -hmm. friends from, you know, school and the moms and dads mm -hmm. and parents. And then she sees the benefit of hanging out and then being friends with different kinds of people so that she won't get upset if friend X doesn't want to play with her. And she was like, OK, fine, then I'll play with friend Y. And that's OK, because I do that all the time. Because so I'm the. I'm the role model. I need to be the role model for her. I can't just tell her what to do, but I need to do it too. Like, for example, we tell children, no candy, no chocolate, this and that. They say, why? I know you eat at night. You know, they, they're not stupid. They can open the cupboard and find things. And so I try to not to tell my children what to do, but just kind of show how I, how I do it, how I do certain things. Because I, I, I I'm doing my very best, but um, my daughter picked out this little figurine and said, well, I don't want to play with this boy. And the, the figurine had short hair. And I'm like, are we gender stereotyping in my house? Really? Boys, girls, they can have you know short hair. I have short hair. Am I a boy? Like, no. Okay, there we go. Fine. It's just a figurine. So, yeah. Yeah, the challenges, the challenges that we face, but also it's important for us to keep educating, keep using different books or keep, what I love is that Pixar um, uh, is doing their best and I'm using those short, short uh, stories to share with my son that this is another version. This is what, what I'm doing with the work for inclusions. This is uh two men or maybe a shorter guy who uh, wasn't able to to participate but now he's able to participate even though he has special uh, abilities they can still participate so there are different ways to share these stories as well and also Mario Line is also having a challenging time so yes it's uh it's very silly to rewatch the classic and I hope that um, the people who are creating cartoons or maybe are affiliated with Disney or maybe are the illustrators of Disney or the storytellers, maybe it's time to rewrite the script. Bring it, make it up to date. Make it up to date to now. Give it a version two or maybe a version three as well. So I wanted to go to the next question. 
And that is Judy. Um, can you share? Can you share why? No, do parents? My bad. Do parents have enough support to teach DEI at home? Is that one for me, Vivian? Yes. Serious? <laughs> <laughs> like which Julie? Um, you know. I found myself, so I've done DEA work for the last seven years, and I did some before um, in corporate America before the venturing out on my own. But all that to say, I thought I'd be really equipped to have this conversation at home with my kids. And then what happened last summer, you know, I'm sitting there in tears watching the news and documentaries and just all the anti-racism content I could get my hands on and realized, you know, as my daughter was asking me, why are these things happening? You know, why are Black people dying? And it's like, deeply troubling to hear those questions. And I would sit there and I was very emotional about it. And I would just, I don't know. Um, and I think a lot of parents, especially white parents here in the United States, like we don't talk about it because we don't know the answers ourselves and we're scared of where the conversation's going to go. And so that's our privilege showing too, like that kids of color don't get to like pretend that they're not a kid of color like they have to have the conversation about police and you know things to, to protect them um and keep them safe so and we really engaged i would say very much more it's, it started out a couple years ago when i started a, an inclusion school podcast with my friend simone to have these conversations with kids um, but i realized i was still woefully unprepared even doing this work for a living to have that conversation with my kids but I would say, in addition to what everyone said here today, you know, we can't protect our kids. Um, we can't insulate them fully from these experiences. And they will see things. Um, just last month on the school bus riding home, my daughter had, you know, kind of first grade. So it's like a crush on a boy. Um, and a, a white girl told her that it was illegal for them to get married because he was not white. And so, like, if you think these things aren't happening, right? They are happening. And I'm so thankful she told me. She told me, yeah, I just told her that was racism. <laughs> she had the language. So kids need to know like what racism is to call out racism when they see it. Um, especially if you're of the majority group, you have an obligation to humanity to do better. Um, and, and so, yes, I think parents desperately need resources. The cool thing is that just like y'all mentioned, movies are getting better. Books representation is getting better. We have to demand these as parents. Barbie's doing some really cool stuff with anti-racism even. So it's like, it is possible to pivot. It's not too late for organizations to get into this work and supply these tools. But uh, yes, I think we've, we are all on a journey. And I think the conversation at home is really important and also admittedly hard. Um, yeah. But I'll share some resources in the chat too. Definitely. And also, uh, Magali, what do you have to share? Yes and no. I mean, for me, it's more like, um, you know, yes, in a way, I'm, I'm very strong with my beliefs. So I try to incorporate everything um, and I'm very aware when I go and buy clothes for my daughter. And then when I go and I see only pink and you're a princess. And sometimes I go, I, I go most often in the boys like section because I don't want her to, to wear like a bikini at the age of two. I mean, what's the point? Uh, I just want her to have comfortable clothes because she loves running. She sees me running, so she loves running. I don't care about this thing. So. And I sometimes go to the contact, like, do you have like gender neutral clothes, like something like 
kids like she doesn't need like a mini skirt or something so in a way yes and no so i have to be very very conscious about what i buy for my daughter you know i'm like almost like a no pink sometimes yeah pink but i'm very like so i think sometimes it's quite hard for us like and you know i'm really trying to to teach her how, i bought her like a couple of dolls black you know asian i really try to have i'm very conscious but in a way when i go to the daycare i try to ask you know uh do you have diverse kids who are the kids there you know i don't want her to be the uh mix you know only the mixed kid uh but i think it's it's yes and no we have more and more you know things happening for us but there's still the subtle things happening like pink for girls or you know people call like you know this little a set of things that are happening and but you have to be very conscious and very active otherwise i think it's easy to follow uh whatever people are asking you and i'm she's not at the stage where she goes to school yet so i'll have to have this conversation you know because yeah. she will be um dealing with you know stereotypes and all of this yeah and it's a it's definitely a reminder for every year that she evolves to uh, share the story in a different from a different lens, right? Because um, I had the unfortunate task to share what happened to George Floyd. Because here in the Netherlands, they kept showing that video over and over again, or at least a summary of that video. And uh, what I did in the beginning was just switch away because it's not something that a six-year-old should witness. But one time I was too late, and he saw it. And then I realized that the double parenting for, for me, it started very early. It started at an age that I'm not ready for this conversation, but I have to share it with him because it's important for him to realize what's happening, what is he seeing, instead of him creating his own narrative. So his dad is Dutch. Uh, he shared some part and I shared that very simple George Floyd died because of the color of his skin. And his one question was, is anybody going to hurt you, mom? And that question, when you get that, you are paralyzed. You don't know what to say. At least I, it, for me, it felt like I did not say anything for hours, but I replied with, I'm okay. Nobody's going to hurt me. But to me, it felt like I was telling my son a lie because I cannot guarantee my safety. But it also led me towards um, creating a platform that it's called Amplify the AI, also led towards me supporting other people in their journey, wherever they are. Because sometimes we seem to forget where people are at. We want everybody to be at the level that we are, but not realizing or not thinking that, that some people need to take time to marinate, right? Some things need to take time to consume. We have to respect people too to let them consume the information so that they can walk forwards in their journey to uh, to do better. Julie Kim. Yes, um, so my oldest is five and it's never too early to start mm -hmm. the discussion, but I wanted to start somewhere she can sort of, sort of relate to. So she see uh, friends have mom and dad and some friends only have mom or, or dad you know, single parents, and we have two moms, and she knows the difference. So we talked about, we talk about that. Some people have two moms and two dads, and it's diverse. She's like, 
okay, okay, fine. Well, this is all I know. But and I ask her, do you see some kids sometimes pick on somebody because they're wearing glasses, a short, or you know, long hair and this that? Like, mm-hmm. well, silly enough, adults do that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not the sort of innocent bullying; it gets worse and worse and worse. And the ultimate punishment is death or murder. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. Um, because, uh, well, <laughs> we will get there. Yeah. Age appropriately. Yeah. I introduce uh, injustice around her classroom, but also around in the adult world. And that's why I volunteer um, because I work in a DEI space and I develop learning and development program at Workplace Pride Amsterdam. So to advance LGBTIQ plus um, uh, inclusion in the workplace. So I have that experience, but I don't have lived sort of experience per se when it comes to race. I mean, I have been, I have negative experiences, but nothing compared to my friends of color. And uh, the, the darker it gets, the worse it gets, as they explain, uh, my, some of my friends explain. So um, I volunteered and I collected like some, I asked some parents, can you share your experience to talk about safety from your perspective, friends from Nigeria or friends from Portugal or different places around the world? What was your experience like living in Amsterdam? And they have more powerful stories to share with the parents that because this family is the smallest community that can you know, start the evolution, the change, right? Of behavior or the way of thinking. So um, yeah, I, because street, teaching my children with street smart isn't, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. We need more people. We need army of people, supportive parents who care about safety, psychological and physical safety for our children. So that's, that's where I'm at. Right now. I was supposed to ask the question and this question because um, normally what I do is talk about the workplace and now I'm talking about the space at home. But to start with this question, the workplace is connected to our personal space. Um, what can you share for leaders to understand why it is important to educate employees about diversity, equity, and inclusion so that they can bring the right elements to their home. I'll start with Magali. Yeah. Um, again, like, you know, this, this, this thing about covering up, you know, mm. you probably know that, you know, I think I remember my first, you know, real job, business job, you know, there was this, I had my Afro and this colleague touching my hair from the back and I scream like you know I'm, I'm full I'm authentic I'm myself I send an email to the whole company we were 50 so and I say I'm not a pet don't touch my hair and my own manager telling me oh stop being so savage or something like that something like along the line um, the thing already I know I'm not safe I know I don't want to show my potentials. I, I don't want to, to bring value. So already it's important to talk about DEI because for him it was innocent. Oh, it's fun, you know? But the thing is for me, what can I tell to my daughter now about my work experience? Uh, and what is he going to tell his kids about people who has different hair? So the thing is one important thing is, you know, we tend to separate work and you know, and of a personal life, but it's entertaining. 
it's both. We are like, we're holistic. When I bring my, 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 my fears or my concerns, if I pretend, and sometimes you have to, but if I pretend I'm not authentic, uh, you're like, what is, what is she hiding? You know, but I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling good. If someone touched my hair, I don't feel I want to be my, my best. You need to do something in this workplace. So it's entertaining. We are human at the end of the day. And when I say diversity and inclu inclusion or diversity, equity and inclusion is not like a big thing that we put on a box. It's basically human. It's people. It's behavior. It's our mindset. It's who we are. It's, it's part of our DNA. We are all very diverse. So. Um, it's important thing to talk and it's not simple, but we need to start there so people can feel safe and parents can be also themselves. And I can also bring and share great stories to my daughter. So when she will contribute, she will say, yes, I can have my Afro. I can shave my head. I can, you know, do whatever I want, but I'll be like um, valued for what, who I am. Uh, Vivian, I think you're muted. Yes, I was muted. And Julie, can you say something, Julie Kim? Julie Kim? How Kim, can it be yes. Michael Lee? That was like, damn. <laughs> um, well, like I said, the, I use children as an example. When they're happy, they perform yeah. their best. They learn the best. There's so many studies suggest, you know, scientific studies, academic studies, say that when people are happy they perform their, their best um and there's so many negative touch points when you're slightly different right color or culture or language or sexual orientations gender identity whatever those intersectional you know personal characteristics the more layers you have more likely you are forced to experience those negative touch points and they're deadly costly for organizations, negative touch points are so costly. And I'm not just talking about the cost or uh, performance, but again, psychological well-being and mental health uh, well wellness of people. And for, for me, I want my daughters, my children to know, be ready, it's wild out there. But again, we need to teach Asia properly, right? So the mm -hmm. classroom, workplace, children adults were bigger and I, again we think we're smarter but man our behaviors pretty similar you know so discrimination and harassment doesn't happen it suddenly happen in the workplace it happens way 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 before that right so um i that's why i think it's so super important for us to be talking about this with the children and we also adults should and can change our behaviors mm -hmm. and well it's it's a long journey but at least we need to talk about that at Definitely. least yeah Definitely. like I julie mean, says like oh my job is not meaningful i i don't think you i think it's so meaningful of the things that you do and the change it doesn't happen as quick as we wish them to you know happen but I think it's super important that we keep talking about this dialogue from racial viewpoint and gender, uh, gender and sexual orientation, all points, touch points. So. Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget the people, special abilities as well, Spe because they yeah. are often Indeed. also excluded as well. But uh, thank you, Julie Kim. And going over to Julie Kratz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to underscore what was already said. It was really yeah. beautiful. And thanks for sharing that story, Magli. I can't believe... 
when I started talking with women of color about their experiences in the workplace, like all of them had several hair touching examples. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? No one tries to touch my hair. Like, what is up with that? Like, that was just Mm -hmm. so appalling to me. Um, But I think just the last thing I'd say that builds off of what you already said is like, as long as like, as long as not all people feel seen, heard and belong, then we can't, no one can really feel seen, heard and belong. Like the lowest denominator, like if we're excluding anyone, this isn't a good place for anyone. And I wish people, instead of like looking at this as a zero sum game, I win, you lose, like it's really an infinite game. Like we're all combining creating more together um so for a girl to grow up with the programming of you know you could be a princess or you know whatever problematic things just keeping girls shushed and labeling them bossy for leadership behaviors like that's just one example but kids of color too getting the message of like well you can't do that or Mm -hmm. "Mm, you're being aggressive or being surprised by them being articulate like these little microaggressions that children do experience add up to not feeling a sense of belonging and that's just like it's just not okay with me like bottom line like not okay especially for children um are just too innocent and too beautiful to not deserve equality um especially based on just arbitrary traits about themselves like skin color and gender identity it just seems completely ridiculous and so um doing this work every day i think it can be exhausting. Um, if you're a parent that's like, whoa, opening this can of worms is going to be a hard conversation with my kids. It is. I'm not going to tell you that it's not. You just got to keep showing up though. You have to be consistent about this. You have to be intentional about this and things do start to improve. So I agree. Let's all keep talking about this, especially with kiddos. Definitely. And also realizing that we as parents, we can have, we can create our own toolkit, right? We can Um, I know that a lot of parents or a lot of people are looking towards the school system, but here in the Netherlands, the school system isn't isn't very near when it comes to integrating DEI uh, education material in the school system. So it's upon us to educate our our kids as, as well and use books, use, there are so many platforms out there, but also a good YouTube version, Sesame Street has a a variation of showing up as an ally, but also sharing what diversity means and what it means to have two dads or what it means to have two moms or what it means to have um, a different parenting style that was the traditional, because there is no traditional right now. And also what it means if a child um, comes out instead of a he as a she. That's those transformations that are also going on in Netherlands. And we need to build empathy and activate empathy within our kids that they have to empathize with the new gender that this, this child is going is wanting to uh, adopt as well i am i'm i am uh yeah i'm lost for words because i was sometimes it's very hard to be a moderator be a host and listening to all these stories because it, it's touching it's touching the heart and i hope that those who are watching those who are parents or those who want to become parents or those who are aunties or uncles or grandparents so take this in listen today but also re-watch this episode or listen again because it's so impactful what everybody have been sharing about how we can support our kids but also to learn things from the parental perspective as well and it has come to my last question now 
Um, we are halfway through 2021. And what would be your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and DEI from a parent's perspective? Julie Kretz. Ah, my hope. Uh, one word, accountability. Mm, I really yes. hope organizations yes. are held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Just like any other part of your business, yeah. you'd be held yeah. accountable for this too. So yeah. we're starting to see that happening um, uh, here in the States a bit, not as much as I'd like to see. And I think the same goes you know, for the conversations outside the classroom, because you're right. I mean, I don't think we can look to our school systems to drive this conversation. We as parents have to come together. And especially I think parents that might not think they're diverse or might not think they have to talk about these things. Like, yeah, you absolutely have to, yeah. like that is not a choice for, our, for certain types of people. It needs to be a conversation for all people. Yeah. So I hope we have more allies in the conversation too. Definitely. And especially I read somewhere in the States, there are some States that are removing the conversations of talking about race yep. and talking about different uh, diversity or di diverse topics as well. So uh, don't only depend on the school system, bring it in at home as well. Yeah. One fact, just to build off what you said, Vivian, mm -hmm. um, critical race theory is like the big yeah. thing that's very controversial here in the States. And it's really just mm -hmm. the acceptance that racism exists, but there are more states now that are banning critical race theory than mandating the teaching of black history. And so you think about that as a huge problem, right? And just bringing awareness to that issue, I think is something as parents we can all do and just saying that's not okay with me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Magalie. I think for me, it's maybe from the coaching perspective, perspective because what is happening is kids who are bullying or who are racist or, you know, it's, I think when you don't love yourself, you don't love others. Mm -hmm. And this is what we teach to, to like to kids from a younger age. So already I'm a coach, you know, by profession. So I'm already thinking when she's four, I'm going to coach her on emotional intelligence, like, you know, and I'm a planner, so it's crazy. But, and all the, I have this book that I read yes, for her. Definitely. Like she's, she's definitely. two, but she, she already unconsciously is there. Yeah. But I wish like parents would take more time with their kids to teach them the basics of life, you know, to avoid racism. It's like they need to love themselves for who they are. Uh, to just like teach them, hey, it's okay to cry. It's okay, especially for black mothers, you know. I, I don't really cry in front of my mother for a reason, but I want to allow the cry for my daughter. Um, Self-love, self-care. And I think that's the basis because if you love yourself, you can love others and you know that racism is, is all, you know, all, any, time of dis any type of discrimination is bad. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, and I think I wish that parents would take more time with their kids. If I have to not do an assignment, I try to finish early at work, uh, from work and spend time with my daughter. And I think that's the basis. And I hope kids, uh, and kids and parents will spend more time, but work will allow that because some parents have to work crazy and they don't see their, their kids growing up and then they shape their world and they end up like, you know, doing wrong things. So that's really one important thing. And one last thing also is daycare in the workplace. <laughs> like 
like you know if you want to breastfeed you just go you know you put your boob out and you just like have your baby you know you do your thing just allowing more of this you know daycare and I don't have to choose between being a mother or a parent or a father uh, and uh, being like a, a best employee or whatever so I want this to happen in 2025. <laughs> I love that wish and thank you for sharing. And Julie Kim? Gender equality for mm. men. Let me elaborate on this. Yes, please do. Parent perspective. <laughs> please do. <laughs> yeah. Because I gave birth to our children twice. So I've seen from this view. And for the first time, I'm from looking at this, you know, labor and everything from the other view. I'm not giving birth but we're going to have a child. Mm. And I'm really realizing there's so much to do before and Mm -hmm. after as a supporting uh, partner, right? Like a supportive partner. And there's so much. And in the Netherlands, I think legal paternity leave was like two days, three days before. Mm -hmm. Now it's becoming two weeks now. Yeah. So we need to cultivate, cultivate the culture where men feel comfortable taking legal paternity leave. And I think, to be honest, it has to be obliged for men or the other partners to take that time off to understand that first initial like acceleration. Okay, the baby comes and this is this. so critical for a baby's development and partner's well-being, recovery. So in this I would say gender equality for men, at least, and they need to sort of, or the other partners to understand the importance and their roles. And so that, you know, we, we will stop sort of glorifying almost motherhood. Some of my par- uh, even friends say like, oh, mothers have like, so, like a bigger role in raising daughters and this like that. No, we're two mothers. We yeah. know we're both accountable for yeah. our children's misbehaviors, you know? You, yeah, you, you, so I think it's important that, that we cultivate the culture where uh, men can take paternity leave and feel comfortable and about it and feel proud of it and then come back to work and, and, for, and for women too as well. But yeah. I think men are st- still stigmatized in, in, uh, in, in that area. So we need to do it better for women. Yeah. Yeah. I also know that Alexis Ohanian, who is known as the former founder of Reddit, but I think the majority knows him as the partner of uh, Serena Williams, who's a true advocate for men or the partner to have equal parental uh, maternity leave as well, because it's a two people job, not a one person job. And it's it's also good for the baby to bond with both partners or with both parents as well. So I truly emphasize on that. And I want to say thank you to both Julies. <laughs> say thank you to Megali as well. And I also want to bring in something special as well. So uh, some of you already know that I am organizing the Amplify DEI Summit, which now I've received at least 70 uh, speaker proposal. So it's going to be crazy busy. But I also wanted to emphasize that if your company is looking for a way to make a baby step towards inclusion, equity, and diversity as well, or tie something in towards their commitment, again, a baby step, you can contact me or can look up the Amplify DEI because we want sponsors to make this happen. So 
thank you all for uh, watching this episode or joining this episode, or maybe listening this to this episode. I really had an amazing time with uh, Julie Kratz and Julie Kim and Magali Toussaint. It was uh, an impactful episode, which really touched my heart when it comes to DEI and parenting as well. So thank you all for watching this episode and until not next week, but the week after. And until then, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>